Thank you for coming tonight. Good to see you. Um, first, we're going to be looking at first at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Appreciate each and every person that's here tonight. God bless you. Folks, years ago, the New York Times reported that, um, that coyotes were migrating east. Um, that was getting mixed reviews. Some people thought it was a threat to domestic animals. Other people welcomed them. They said, we're happy to have them. The coyotes kill the mice and rabbits which grow at the bottom of our trees. Just as coyotes were getting mixed reviews, a lot of times our trials that we go through get mixed reviews. We usually avoid them. We usually don't like them. They're, they're hard. They're difficult. But the truth is God can use trials to make us more like Christ, and he can use trials to actually prepare us for greater ministry. And today I'd like to talk about the blessings of trials. The first blessing is that they can produce maturity. They can actually produce, produce maturity. We see that in the f- first four verses of chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trine of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He says in verse 2, count it all joy. Usually we count it all joy when we avoid them. But the passage says to count it all joy when you're in the midst of them. Then it says when. It says count it all joy when. It doesn't say if. Folks, trials are inevitable. They're inevitable. We will go through them. A godly man from many years ago said these words. God had one son without sin, but no son without a cross. God had one son without sin, but no sin, no son without a cross. There's no possible way that we can't get through them. Uh, But the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, and the truth is that's the way it is with you and I. That's how we grow a lot of times. Then he says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It has the idea of various or many colored. It emphasizes not the quantity of the trials that we go through, but the diversity of the trials that we go through. Then it says in verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It has the idea of endurance, that trials produce endurance. You know, a person just doesn't uh, walk up and run a marathon. Every week they run more and more, building endurance. Every week they, 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 they run further and further, so they get strong. They are building endurance. The Bible says the Christian life is a race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And then in verse 4 it says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You probably heard that the word perfect means mature. The word complete means well-rounded, fully put together spiritually. That God uses trials to grow us up. God uses trials to grow us up to make us well-rounded, mature believers. He's trying to make us tough. He's trying to make us strong. And sometimes the only way that can happen 
is through the trials and heartaches that we go through. There's a second blessing of trials in that trials can result in rewards. Trials can result in rewards. Verse 12, he says, Blessed be the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There is a debate about what is the crown of life. I personally believe that the crown of life is given to those who persevere through trials, through difficulties, that they don't quit. They don't quit, and God gives that person a crown of life. Notice that in James chapter 1, verse 12, the one who endures temptation will receive the crown of life. But look at Revelation chapter 2. It's also found in, in Revelation chapter 2. Um, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he's talking to the church at Smyrna. There are two churches out of the seven churches in which there's no condemnation. One is Philadelphia and the other is Smyrna. Smyrna is the suffering church. And he says in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou sh- shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Um, notice that he says, Fear. Our natural tendency when we go through a trial is to fear, but remember what James says, not only not fear, but actually count it all joy. Then it says, which thou shalt suffer. He doesn't say you might suffer. It says you're going to suffer. And then it says, how long are we to be faithful? How long, how long are we going to be faithful in this trial? It says to be faithful unto death. It, it has the idea, even if it cost our life, even if it cost our life, we are to be faithful in the trial that we go through. You know, um, it says to be faithful even to the point of death. That's what happened to a man named Polycarp. Maybe I mentioned Polycarp before. He was um, a leader some years later in, in the church at Smyrna. He was. He actually was a pastor there. And he was asked to recount his faith. Deny your faith or we're going to kill you. We're going to burn you at the stake. And he said these words. He said, um, four score, he says, 80 and six years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So they burned him and then they, they, they I think it was a spear that they killed him. And so um, at that point, I believe he received the crown of life. And so will you and I, if we keep on going, if we keep, if we don't quit, if we don't give up in the trials that, he, that we go through, that he wants to reward us through, the, through, through our faithfulness in the trials that we go through. There's a third blessing that, tri- that trials can produce, and that is they can be used in making us long for heaven. They can be used in making us long to, for heaven. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, he, chapter 4 and chapter 5 talks a lot about heaven. And in verse 8, Verses 8 to 10, he says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He gives four contrasting metaphors to show that the trial didn't cripple him, but actually strengthened him. Let's look at those two verses, or those, those four things in verses 8 and 9. 
He says he's hard-pressed, but he's not distressed. Or he's troubled, but not distressed. He's perplexed, but not in despair. He's persecuted, but not forsaken. He's cast down, but not destroyed. All these things were happening to him, but instead of crippling him, instead of stopping him, they were actually strengthening him. There was an Irish evangelist many years ago that um, was speaking, and he was talking about trials. And he said, he said, in any trial that we go through, in any trial that we go through, he said, for this, I have Jesus. For this, I have Jesus. And um, after the service, they had a testimony time, and there was um, a girl that spoke up and said, I really needed this message. Because during the message, I received a telegram that said, come home quickly, mom is sick. So I'm trusting that, that what you said, that I, I believe what you said. About six months later, she wrote the evangelist a letter, and she said that I have had victory. I have had victory through this, that for this I have Jesus. Now, folks, it's really easy to preach this. But the truth is, I've got to remind myself that Whatever situation you and I are going to go through this week, it could be a, a health issue. I'm talking to some of you, and I'm so sorry some of the things you're going through. My heart goes out to you. Some of you are going through hard difficulties and, and, and physical difficulties, and, and I want you to know for this I have Jesus. For this you have Jesus. It could be a financial setback. It could be a relational setback. But every situation that we go through, every situation that we go through, for this, I have Jesus. For this, I have Jesus. Anything life throws at us, anything that Satan throws at us, for this, I have Jesus. In verse 10, he says that, um, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That God brought him to the point of total... Uh, uh, of total to the point where he couldn't go any further and that the only thing that can enable him to go through life was the power of Christ flowing through him. The power of Christ throwing th- flowing through him. It says the same thing in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, where he asked God to remove the thorn of the flesh three different times and God said no. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness that God a lot of times bring us, brings us to the point when we can't go on, and it's then that God's great power, Christ's great power, can flow through us. The famous missionary Hudson Taylor once said, God was looking for, some, someone, God was looking for someone weak enough to use, and he found you and me. That God was looking for someone weak enough to use, and he, and he found you and me. That God delights and using weak in weak vessels so that his power can flow through him. And then in verse 16 and 17, verse 16 it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And you and I know about this. I, we were talking earlier with some of you that we, we know that we're getting weaker. We know that our physical body is not the way it was years ago, but yet the Bible says that our spirit is maturing into Christ's likeness. Then he says in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, our light affliction. In talking to you earlier, 
It's not a light affliction. It's not a light affliction. Some of you are going through some difficult, difficult times, and it's not light. It's no use in, in, in having some mental, uh, g- mental uh, gyrations and somehow saying that it isn't, it isn't light. It is it, it, that, it, that it's light. It, it is heavy. It is difficult. But it's a comparative term. When he uses the word light affliction, he's comparing it to the glory that is awaiting us. It's, it's, it's light in comparison to the unbelievable glory that you and I will receive if we hang in there, if we don't quit. So it's a comparative term. He's comparing, he says it's light, but it's light in comparison to the unbelievable glory that we will receive. If we hang in there, we don't quit. Then he says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Someone said that believers must look beyond the physical to the spiritual, beyond the present to the future, and beyond the visible to the invisible. Moses, seeing him who is invisible, seeing him who is invisible, we endure, we we go on. I have found this in my own life. I don't know if you found this. But trials have the way of purging us, of purifying us. That's the way it's been in my life. It, it purges me. It, it purifies me. The Bible says that we are strangers. We are pilgrims and strangers in this life. But sometimes I have a- excess baggage. Sometimes I have excess baggage, baggage, baggage. And what God does is that he purges and he sifts those things so that the only thing I have left is him and heaven. <laughs> and then we realize that's all I ever needed in the first place. The trials have a way of making us long for heaven. Trials have a way of purging and sifting. So the only thing we have left is him and heaven. And, and that's when we find our greatest joy. And there have been times when I've lived like that. There's been times when God purged me and sifted me. And all I did was live in first, Second Corinthians 4 and 5 and Revelations 20 to 22. And it was a great time because that's what trials do. They make us long for heaven, which is where we need to be. Because we're pilgrims and strangers and, and it, makes, it makes us long for what is real and, and what is the most important things. And that is God and, 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 and the hope of heaven. But fourthly, trials can benefit ourselves and others in the future. They can benefit ourselves and others in the future. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. The trial began on his 12th birthday. Up until that time, he thought he was destined for success. After all, he had read every single one of the books in his father's extensive library. But at the age of 12, his world fell apart. Because of a financial situation in his family, he was forced to work in the factories. The factories were horrible. It was cold and damp, and it was overrun by rats. But um, shortly the trial ended, and he was able to go back to school. But the trial never left him. He never forgot the trial that he went, went through. Because that young boy eventually became a man, and that man became a writer. And you've all heard of him. 
His name was Charles Dickens. And in his writings, he would talk about the, um, the, 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 the bad conditions in factories and, and, and the workers there in London, that God used the trial in his own life to, you know, to, to, to help him. But also in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, in verse 4, again, it says, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. When God comforts us in the trials that we go through, it's not supposed to end there. It's not supposed to end there. It doesn't end with God giving us comfort. The scripture says that God does that so that we in turn could comfort other people who are going through the exact same thing that we go through. That God wants to use us. That suffering is never wasted. That that suffering can be used to touch other people's lives. I guess the classic example for me was a teenage girl. She was only 16 or 17, and she jumped. She dove into the, the river, Chesapeake River. And when she did, she broke her neck. And she became paralyzed from her neck down. And uh, she was bitter at God and angry at God, upset at God. She tried to get healed, go into healing services. It didn't work. It was only when she came to the conclusion that a sovereign God had allowed that in her life, that that was God's plan for her life. She started drawing with her mouth. Um, There was a book about her life, and um, she sang. And then years later, she started a ministry to disabled people that literally went, that is around the world, that is literally around the world. Tens of thousands of people down through the years, no doubt, have been affected, been touched by her ministry, a ministry to disabled people, the, the same thing that she was. She tried to minister in Christ's name to other people who were disabled around the world. Probably tens of thousands of people. And the amazing thing, it would have never happened, it would have never happened if she was whole. She never, it never would have happened if she was healed. But God used her brokenness and God used her trials so that she in turn would comfort multitudes of people. That God wants to do that in my life, in your life. It's not wasted. It doesn't have to be wasted. It can be redeemed so that we can touch people's lives. Number five. They can be used to advance God's kingdom. They can be used to advance God's kingdom. Can you turn to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. The context is Paul's in prison. And it's a book of joy. It's an amazing book of joy. The word joy or rejoice is mentioned, I think, 17 times. But he says in verse 12, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the places. And many of the brethren of the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of a contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and, and, and will rejoice. 
For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he's kind of saying, don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me at all because the gospel has been advanced. When the man, when the man of the the first century is arrested, the man who went on three missionary journeys, the the man who started so many churches, the the natural conclusion to think is that when he's arrested, it's all over. But their idea was the next man up. The next man up and men had boldness to, to preach the gospel. Some did it with wrong motives, but Paul is rejoicing that the gospel was getting out. Um, so he was thanking God for that. Also during that time, if you remember, at the end of the book he says, greet those which are, are, are Caesar's household. Bible teachers tell us that probably what happened was that he's chained to Roman soldiers. And um, that, was a, that was a great opportunity for Paul to share the gospel. And no doubt he did, and people got saved. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing is that he always wanted to go to Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome, but he didn't go to Rome until he was a prisoner. And what happened was that, is that the gospel advanced into the, into the Roman palace. But it would never have happened unless he was arrested. It never would have happened unless he, he was a prisoner, that it actually advanced. And the way it advanced is by him being a prisoner. He also wrote four or five prison epistles. And, and, and we have been blessed by that all these years. You ever hear, you ever hear the term new normal? Do you ever hear that term? Maybe some of us are in a new normal. We're in the new normal. For Paul, there was a new normal. After years of activity and busyness and going from one place to another, there was a new normal in his life. He couldn't go the places that he wanted to go. He was a prisoner. But the gospel actually spread in his inactivity compared to what he did before. The gospel went into the, in, in, into the Roman palace and he was able to write epistles that have blessed us all these years. My friend, maybe you're in a new normal. Maybe you're in a new normal right now, but God can use you in your new normal. And he could actually even use you greater in the new normal that you and I are going through right now. That God can use it to touch many people's lives in, 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 in his perfect will that he has for us right now. Number six. Another blessing of trials is that they give us an opportunity to display to God, Satan, and others that we really do love God. They give us an opportunity to display to God, Satan, and others that we really do love God. Can you turn to Job? We're almost done. Two things. Job, Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. You know the story in Job chapter 1. There's a contest in heaven. And it's amazing. It is God who brings it up to Satan when Satan reports to, to God. He said, have you seen my servant Job? And he's a righteous man, a godly man, one who hates evil. And Satan says, well, no wonder, he's, no wonder he loves you. You've blessed him so. But Satan says, you let me get a hold of him. You let me get a hold of him. And he'll curse you to your face. The amazing thing is that God allowed it to happen. God allowed it to happen. And um, God allowed him, Satan, to take away all his children 
and all his possessions in one day. And in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, this is the reaction to Job. Then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Is that possible? I thought worship was just for good times and, and happy times. Did you ever read Abraham's story in, Ge- in, in Genesis chapter 22 when he's asked to sacrifice his, his son? He says, we're going to come back and worship. That God can be worshipped in times of tragedy. God can, wor- can be worshipped in times of, of perplexity when we don't know, like Abraham, what God is doing. He can be worshipped when God takes away everything. That God can be worshipped no matter what we go through. And, and he should be worshipped no matter what, what we go through. And then he says in verse 21, the classic verse, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, The Lord has given me all these things. Um, I didn't have anything when I came in. I'm not going to have anything when I go out. Everything is on loan, and so his hands were open. His hands, hands were open where he didn't hold cl- tightly to anything. And so if, if a sovereign God allowed uh, something to be removed from his life, his hands were open because he knew that he had nothing to begin with and nothing when he was going to leave and everything was on loan. And if a sovereign God allowed God to, to, to take those things, he would still worship him. And when Job said that, when Job said that, he showed God, Satan, and everyone else who's ever lived on the earth ever since that Job loved the giver more than he loved his gifts. That Job loved the giver more than he loved his gifts. And when we go through these trials, it, it shows that. That, um, that when, we, when we respond well to them, it shows God and Satan and the people around us that we really love him, that we really do love him regardless of what he allows in our lives. There was a man named Dennis Fisher, and he used to teach at a Christian university or college in the inner city. And there was one, he said that he, he, he used to go to a food court in the inner city. You know the inner city? Everyone's real quiet. No one talks to each other. And he's there at this food court, and he's grading papers, and his briefcase is open. And I guess the papers are right in the briefcase. But you know what happened? He spilled his coffee right into the briefcase. And usually no one talks in, in an inner city court, you know, a food court. But some guy was looking at it and he said, worst case scenario. He blurted out worst case scenario. And that's the way it was with Job. And maybe some of you know this heartache. Um, what is the worst case scenario that life throws at us? What is the worst case scenario? In my mind, I think it is the loss of a child. It's the loss of a child. It's not natural. It's not normal. Children bury their parents. But here, um, Job is, is, is burying his kids tenfold. Tenfold. The worst thing that could ever happen to, uh, I believe, to anyone, Job was experiencing tenfold. But yet Job didn't curse God. He actually worshiped God. But it did display to everyone to God and to Satan, to everyone ever since, that he really loved him. One last thing, and then we're done. 
Trials can be used of God to prepare us for future service. Can you turn to Genesis chapter 45? Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. You know the story of Joseph. Um, He was a godly teenager, and then because of jealousy, his uh, brothers sold him into slavery. He goes to a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. He goes to prison, and um, there, through interpreting a dream, he goes from a prisoner to the second-in-command of all of Egypt. But the amazing thing is that he, can, he never could have got to Egypt. <laughs> he, never, he never could have got to Egypt unless he was sold into slavery. And, and Pharaoh would never have known about him unless he had met, met the chief butler that he now sees the complete picture. He now sees how a sovereign God has allowed all these things. And in chapter 45, verses 5 to 8, he says these words. Chapter 45, verses 5 to 8. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did not send me before you to preserve life. The context is that his brothers finally appear to him because of the famine. And it's kind of like he's saying, I, I, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad. Can you imagine the work of grace and forgiveness that God has done in this man's heart? No doubt initially, if he's just like me and you, he's angry and he's bitter. But over the years, he sees God's sovereign hand and he sees that God has allowed it. And he says, I, I don't want you to feel bad. I, I want you to feel bad. Don't, I don't want you to feel bad. Then he says, for these two years have the famine been in the land and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. In verse 7, he says, God allowed me to come here to save lives. And he saved two nations. He saved Egypt, the people of Egypt, but he also saved his own family, which became a nation. And now he sees the big picture. Now he sees what God is doing. And he says, it's not you that sent me. God sent me here. And then chapter 50, and you know these verses, chapter 50, verse 20. Jacob's, um, Jacob dies. And so the brothers are worried that Joseph's going to turn on them. But Joseph comforts them in verse 20 and says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Again, he sees the, 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 the big picture. He doesn't deny what they did. You were evil in what you did. But he said God had a bigger picture. That God had a bigger picture. And, and to save people. But I want to turn a corner a little bit and just share something. That... um. If you read the story that when he goes to Potiphar's house, he makes Joseph in charge of the overseer of his house. And when he goes to prison, the keeper of the prison makes him overseer of the other prisoners. That Joseph learned administrative abilities and leadership abilities. That God was preparing him. God was molding him and making him into the man that he was going to be through the trial that he went through. And maybe I'm talking to someone that... um, you're going through a trial. We avoid it. We shun it. We hate it. But did you ever think that God is using this trial in my life and your life to prepare us for a greater work, 
that God has something in the future for you and I to do. And the only way that God can prepare us is through the trial that we're going through. That it's not wasted. It's not wasted. He's molding us and making us into the man or woman uh, that he wants us to be because he has a greater work for us to do in the future. And the only way we're going to learn it, the only way we're going to be equipped to do it, is through the trial that we're going through right now. It's not wasted. It's not. I close with this story. A lady's daughter was sick, and she had to go to a pharmacy. But she locked her keys in the car, and she prayed, God, please help me. Right after that, there was a man that walked by, and um, he was dirty and greasy. And she said to the Lord, is this the help you're giving me? But she asked the man, she said, could you help me? And the man was able to open the, the car door. And she hugged him and she said, you are a very nice man. And he replied by saying, I am not a nice man. I just got out of prison for carjacking. <laughs> and then she said, thank you, Lord, for sending me a professional. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for sending me a professional. Talk about professionals. Talk about professionals. God is a professional. That God is a professional in the area of trials. He knows just what to do to make us more like Christ. And he just knows exactly what to do to prepare us for the ministry that he has for us in the future. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you can encourage these folks, these precious folks. Lord, my heart goes out. Just thank you for the precious time that I had talking to these precious brothers and sisters before that. That that was so precious to know what they're going through. And I thank you for these men and women who love you with all their heart and they're going through difficult times. Lord, I just pray somehow, some way that they could be encouraged by your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.